You're listening to Trending with Timory. So, what's trending? You're listening to Trending with Timory. Joining me today is Father Tim Grumbach. It's great to have you back on the show, Father Tim. He is a pastor, an associate pastor at St. Augustine Parish in the Diocese of Los Angeles. And just this week celebrated his third year anniversary as a priest. Welcome, Father Tim. Oh, it's so good to be back. It has been <clears throat> a wild few months, uh, but especially the last few days here in Culver City and Santa Monica, um, it's been a wild time and not exactly how I thought I'd be spending my uh, my anniversary is uh, still in a church by myself uh, while under curfew and lockdown and all that fun stuff. But that's another conversation for another day. But here we are. Um, God was still able to do so much uh, this week uh, for our church, for our community, and it's it's so good to be back and able to join you. And praise God for being safe in the midst of all of this, because you are in the heart of L.A., Hollywood area, and so you've seen a very grim picture of the reality of the riots of the last week. Yeah, I remember just watching uh, some of the, you know, the market I used to go to was getting looted, the uh, the streets that I would drive down. And uh, luckily, my family is safe. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're, we're just kind of uh, you know, rebuilding as a community here. And, uh, you know, we're, we're in a little bit of a bubble, which is definitely a strange thing in the week of Pentecost, uh, that uh, we feel a little bit locked down, but we're looking for ways that if we're not externally out there, uh, that we're, we're still uh, praying and sacrificing and uh, God is still doing amazing things for us. Um, there's a lot of heartbreak in our community right now, but uh, full of faithful people who know that God is doing something and it's going to take some time to discover just what it is that he's doing. I'd like to dive a little bit into what's going on right now from the perspective of there's a, there are a couple of stories that really stood out to me. Uh, we've been talking about character formation virtue a lot this week and new ageism, and I think it all ties in with what's happening right now in the culture. And I was sent this video about a former Antifa member who left Antifa. In fact, he wasn't even involved in organizing events and from a young age, even it sounds like in high school. And it's fascinating to me to hear his story and I want to play for you a little taste of what he says when he talks about like why was I even a member of Antifa listen to this I am an incredibly different person I am men from that time and I can't believe that I used to do all that it's it's it doesn't make sense to me why I would take put on a mask and yell obscenity at that person. I don't even cuss nowadays, <laughs> like at all. Yeah. And like now, I used to do it in front of a, a in, to some random person I didn't know in front of a bunch of children playing on the front yards. Shock factor. Yeah, it just I didn't I don't understand why it would make me do that and be so hateful. Here's a young man, Gabe Nadalis, who was a former Antifa member. Now, for those who aren't aware of who Antifa is, they're some of the major groups calling for, at times, a violent rioting right now. In fact, their headquarters are in Pasadena, California, where a lot of this has broken out very intensely at times, which you're near Father Tim. And as I hear Gabe Nadal's story, it's interesting because they talk about how did you get involved with Antifa? And I'd love to hear, Father Tim, your initial reaction to his story. One of the things about his story that really struck me was about the way that they would go up to uh, some corporate CEO's house and they would start yelling the obscenities and 
and acting out in some kind of violent ways so that the neighbors would see it. And then when they left, the neighbors would come by to this person's house and say, okay, you've got to do whatever they say because we can't have that in our neighborhood. And so it, it became this use of, of terror and of obscenity uh, in, in order to frighten people into you know, following their demands. And that he would say that later on they would gather together and they would just kind of laugh about it. Like, can you believe that we just did that and got away with that? And um, you know, what, what's frightening to me is the, uh, the nonchalant use of, of violence and obscenity to get a point across, especially since our relationship with, as Christians with violence and nonviolence is, um, I just saw someone write about nonviolence that it's meant to draw violence out of people so that others can see it. Others can see the ugliness of it. But we as Christians take it a step further. Um, we receive the violence as Christ received the violence on the cross and in his life. We receive violence and act nonviolently um, so that the person who is, who is fighting us, who is violent against us, will see the ugliness of their own actions. And so we become a mirror to that person and their violence so that it leads to their conversion of heart. Rather than just pointing it out to others and say, hey, look, this person is doing something ugly, they can see the ugliness of their own actions and it's meant to lead to conversion of heart. And that's why Jesus would say, when someone strikes you on one cheek, turn, turn the other, so that it will be mirrored to them, the ugliness of their actions, and it'll lead to conversion of heart. And so nonviolence is meant to be, at the very heart of the Christian understanding of it, is this turning the violence as a mirror onto the other person, uh, not merely to get them in trouble, but to change their hearts. And you know, Antifa you know, seems to be drawing violence out and, and mirroring it by, by imitating it and participating in it, while we as Christians are called to a different relationship with violence. And that's what really struck me about his story. You know, it's interesting, a lot of what you're saying, Father Tim, because he talks about how at a certain point, Antifa just gets to the point where they're not just protesting neo-Nazis, they're not just pro protesting fascists, they're protesting everyone and everything, and they have this mob mentality that it's okay to destroy property, and it's okay and good to force media to cover their story with destruction and violence. And it's so contrary to the Catholic understanding of debate and dialogue. And it's funny because I think a lot of people have a hard time. I mean, they see St. Peter. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus Christ is violently being drawn away for having done nothing other than basically claiming that he's God with sly scripture quotes that they can interpret because, you know, they're the scholars. And then Peter chops off this guard's ear and Jesus tells him that's not the way. And it's fascinating to me because I think that we have a hard time saying, well, when is the time to step up and defend a little more so? And it reminds me of this kind of confusion that many young men feel in our current culture that they don't know how to engage in self-defense the way they used to. Um, there's this fear and anxiety surrounding weapons being used for the right reasons. And I remember this article, I'm not sure if you and I spoke about it a few years ago on Trending, uh, but it was talking about how there's a problem when we are so... Um, anti certain types of weapons for little boys and anti-physical activity there comes a point when little boys become men and they don't know when to run into a house when a woman's being hurt they don't know when to pick up their sticks i think they gave the story of say you know 
a fraternity of, you know, men, a frat, and they're maybe doing some sort of hazing process and a woman's involved. And how a lot of boys today just get so angry don't know when to pick up the sticks and charge in. And so this really, I think, relates to the Antifa crisis. Men just don't know anymore when that right time is. And looking to Christ as the example for that, um, and not just the example, it's a life that we participate in. And so many people are, are ready to look at Christ turning over the tables in the temple and seeing like, hey, we as Christians, we, we can destroy property. We can turn tables over. And like um, he was doing that as the rightful priest, prophet and king entering into his, his own temple. And not only did he tear it down, he let it be built back up in his resurrection. And you know, Jesus's own interpretation of that event showed that the the old temple had become obsolete, but the new temple was going to be everywhere because his body was going to be everywhere. And so as men, have we learned that um, that way of expressing, um, you know, that kind of protective mentality, that way of defending others, and that way of, of being the, the rightful in our own homes, priest, prophet, and king? Mm. Is so true. And I think also looking to the guidance of the Holy Spirit, it's hard sometimes to know what to do in certain situations. And I, I think of the work I've done, because I've been involved in activism. I'm all for free speech. I'm all for peaceful protesting. I mean, a lot of you know as well, my background is in pro-life demonstration activism. But there's a wrong and a right way to go about it. But one of the great things about activism is that it challenges you to engage face-to-face with real people who disagree with you. And I have to tell you, and I know you can say this in your own work as a priest, there are times when people say things to you and you honestly don't know how to respond because either the comment's so flabbergasting or it's such a complex situation. These are the moments where we have to go, okay, Holy Spirit, what do I do? Do I walk the other way? Do I leave the situation? Do I go in and engage? You know, How do I diffuse this anger, this frustration, or even just this argument that this person has at this moment. Yeah, a friend of mine just gave this beautiful reflection um, on her own, on her Facebook page the other day um, of her experience as a, as a young black woman in the midst of all of this. And she said, if you don't know what to say, ask the Holy Spirit. If you don't know what to do, ask the Holy Spirit because we're getting in trouble because we're forgetting who we are as Christians that we rely so deeply on the Holy Spirit to do what's right right now. And uh, we spend so much time thinking about what am I supposed to say uh, that, that maybe others want to hear? What am I supposed to say that will make me look good? What, what am I supposed to say that will save my skin rather than saying, what does the Holy Spirit want me to say right now? And that you know, shook me because I, I wondered how much of what I've been saying over the last you know, week or so or uh, over the last few months I've sat down and said, okay, you know what, Holy Spirit, you do the work right now and I'll say what you want me to say rather than, okay, what are the arguments? What is, what is the right answer to this? What is going to um, win the most applause and appreciation? But first and foremost, asking the Holy Spirit, what is it you want me to say? Amen. I want to come back to Gabe Nadal's 
um, story because he talks about why he left Antifa. And he talks about how he ended up taking this economy class, which, by the way, he said, no surprise, he was failing. (laughs) And he started to study free markets. And he started to ask questions, just ask questions to his friends in Antifa. And he was receiving a tremendous amount of pushback. Anytime he asked a question, he was told to just shut up and was called names. And then there was one person outside of that group who had a different worldview who was willing to answer his questions and just listen and have a conversation. And it's interesting because he gets to the point where he says, I don't know why I put that mask on and why I yelled at people. But what stood out to me is how often when we belong to a certain group of people, a certain friend group, a certain ideology, when we start to ask questions, when we try to understand why, we're punished. We suddenly become the enemy. Yet this is the opposite of what Catholicism is and should be represented as by each of us. We should encourage the questions, the dialogue, the confusion, the disagreement, because it helps us to come to, tr- to a better understanding of truth. Now, one of the greatest thinkers in our tradition, St. Thomas Aquinas, was all about asking questions. In, in fact, the, the, the Summa is all about questions. And he doesn't answer the questions right away. He gives all of the objections first and he builds them up in the strongest way possible. And only then does he give his reply to those objections. And so he's, he, know, he knew the questions better than any of his interlocutors would have. And so it's built into our Catholic tradition to be able to ask the questions. And if we don't know the answers, this has always been one of the most helpful things for me as a priest is to know that if I don't have the answer with me right now, I know somebody has already asked this question and somebody has the answer somewhere. And that helps a lot of people to know that if I don't know it, somebody does and we can go on the journey together. That's Father Tim Grumbach. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Coming up, we'll be talking about the ideas behind a man who left the Communist Party and became Catholic. We'll be right back. Solidarity HealthShare is simple to help pay for affordable, quality health care. They enable the community to share in each other's eligible medical expenses. You choose the doctor that you want to see. Even integrative and alternative medical treatments are eligible. Solidarity HealthShare helps pay for NAPRO technology and costs associated with natural family planning. Solidarity HealthShare is dedicated to both faith and your health care. Information is available at SolidarityHealthShare.org. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. If you'd like to join the conversation today, go ahead and give us a call. The number is one 914 Again, that's one 914 The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Employment opportunities to become an agent or information about their flexible premium life insurance plans are available 
at relevantradio.com slash Forrester. Joining me here every Friday is Father Tim Grumbach. He's back, regular guest on Trending. Father Tim is the associate pastor of St. Augustine Parish in the Diocese of Los Angeles. Shoot him a message on Instagram. He is celebrating three years of his priestly ordination, uh, to his priestly ordination, three years a priest is serving us and having been involved almost since the beginning here with Trending since he became a priest. Yeah, it's it's such a delight, and, and it's good to be back. It feels like it's been a couple of weeks, but we have had a lot <laughs> going on around here, So it's uh, but it's time. It's time to be back, and so thank you for having me on. Father Tim, I want to talk about this story. It fascinated me, and I still want to read the book. It's Dedication and Leadership by Douglas Hyde. It's a short book, and it's about Douglas Hyde, who is or was, he's deceased as of, I think, 1996 or so. He was an English political journalist and writer, and he left the Communist Party in 1948 and shocked everyone by becoming Catholic. Now, he talks about some of the communist tactics and relates them somewhat to Catholicism, and I'm absolutely fascinated because he talks about why young people were so attracted to communism. Now, I think this is relevant to the current climate that we're in, the movements that people engage in, how people, you know, have this love for new ageism. They have this love for, unfortunately, belonging to organizations like Antifa because it's a way of living. It's a way of expressing themselves. themselves. And so what he talks about is how basically the young people ended up emulating and admiring the way of living of the communists. And he talks about how essentially um, what they do very quickly with new communist members is they would quickly send them out into public activity before even their instruction began because it would teach them a way of living rather than just an ideology. They were making disciples. Isn't isn't that incredible? (laughs) A novel idea, right? And... uh, over the last century, that has really drawn some Catholics to consider the the way of uh, socialism, at least, uh, not being able to take the full step into an atheistic communism. But some of, uh, I'm, I'm thinking of a couple of amazing women over the last century who will be saints one day, uh, especially Dorothy Day here in the United States, who, a controversial figure, no doubt, but... Um, One of my favorite moments in in her autobiography, The Long Loneliness, was um, writing about how she was, as a young woman, um, with the Communist Party, living uh, in in just squalor and in poverty. But that's because she wanted to live with the poor, not just serve the poor, but live with them. And the, the young children that would come by to see who are these young adults who are living in poverty. And they said, you know, we're Catholic. And the, and the children would say, no way, you're not Catholic. Only communists do this. And she said, what an indictment that was against Catholicism. <laughs> is that, that we would serve the poor, we would give to the poor, but we would never live among the poor. And um, kind of a, a counterpart of her, hers of, of sort is um, Madeleine Delbrel over in France. Um, you could almost, in a way, call her the, the French Dorothy Day or maybe <laughs> Dor- Dorothy Day, the American uh, uh, Madeleine Delbrel. Um, but she also lived among the, the communists, and um, though she herself was never a part of the party, she acknowledged that uh, people would look up to the communists because of the way that they were caring for the poor and living among the poor, but that she saw that they were definitely missing out on the experience of loving and being loved by God. Well, they were being loved by God, but of loving God. 
And that was a, a major fault of theirs. And she would never join the communists because that would mean giving up her, her relationship with God to enter into this atheistic movement. But she said that there's something we owe to the communists. And that, you know, everyone's like, that's so strange. Why would you say that? And she says, no, we owe them. What we owe them is hope supernatural hope not that they've given it to us but that we owe that giving that to them because they have given up so much you know the people who are on the ground and and you know creating these communist disciples um, and trying to do good things but that we owe them supernatural hope which they don't have and so we have that gift and we need to be able to give it to them to say hey look you want to do good things but we can take it a step further and the reason we want to we want to do these good things is because we we believe in a heaven we believe in a god who wants us there and that our god is going to do more than we can do by ourselves and that the communists were missing something like that and so that's a part of uh, these two great women who will one day be saints uh, you know making disciples and building up the kingdom here because they had their eyes set on more than the communist party could possibly have their eyes set on supernatural hope I, I'm fascinated by this because we've been talking a lot about communism over the last couple of weeks. Michael Knowles was here and we were talking about why, why does, doesn't communism make you happy ultimately? And it's because communism becomes the God, the government becomes the God. And so when you talk about how Christians, the Catholics have the opportunity to provide supernatural hope to the communists, like you said, it's that next step that they're missing. They may be learning a way of life. They may have this grand ideal but there's an element that's just radically missing from our understanding of the human person and our ultimate purpose in kind of bringing it back to how so many young people were attracted to this because of the way of living that communism provided and kind of getting people right away into living that discipleship like a Christ ultimately offered. It's interesting to me because it reminds me in some ways, here we are, we've not talked about it yet, but we're in Pride Month now. And one of the things that people often comment on about Pride Month is that if you were to go to a Pride celebration, Although there might be things that are scandalous and uncomfortable for us to approach, there's a lot of bright color and loud celebration and it's, it's exciting and there's great music and it's attractive as an entertaining lifestyle for people. And so some have commented, you know, why would I want to join that when I can join this party over here? Mm. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, so many people have talked about, you know, how, how do you go into that and, and evangelize in that place to, to go where the people are? And, uh, and that's, that's such a challenge for us right now, especially trying to understand, you know, as a church right now, how, how do, are we outward looking? How, how are we a people of mission when, um, you know, a lot of churches are opening up? Yes, uh, but ours is still closed because of construction, uh, but we're working on it. Um, but how, how do how do we remain a parish that is is not you know insulated, not uh, so inward looking that um, we we can't look outward to the the places where we may not want to go to a pride parade, right? Um, but how how do we uh, go and live among the people? How do we get in that daily experience of the rest of the world, where we live in the world and among the world, but not of the world? Young people want a mission. 
it's so fundamental to who we are. And I want to tell a story about a priest I know who had lived in Lithuania uh, while it was occupied by the Soviet Union. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Timory. My guest today every Friday is Father Tim Grumbach. If you'd like to weigh in on the conversation or connect with us on social media, just head over to relevantradio.com slash trending. So Father Tim, a friend of mine, he's a priest, Father Francesco of the Child Jesus uh, from Lithuania. As a young teenager, a young boy uh, grew up without God, and he lived as Soviet as the Soviet Union occupied Lithuania. And as a young teenager, I think about seventeen years old, ended up participating in the Baltic Chain. Now, for those who don't know, the Baltic Chain was one of those peaceful demonstrations that really helped move the ball forward in freeing the people of Lithuania and the other states from the. Soviet Union in this anti-God and anti-freedom mentality. And what struck me so much about Father Francesco's story is that he was so young. And I always ask, you know, why was it that you were involved? Why were you converting to Catholicism? And why were you living this underground Catholicism that was illegal at the time? And why would you participate in the Baltic chain at that age? And he talked about how, well, on one level, he was presented with truth a truth that he had never heard before through the Catholic Church. And then on the other level, at the same time, he was being called essentially to a lifestyle, to live and to speak up and to stand up in a very unique way. And that was attractive as a young person to be able to do something to help make a change. And so I look at the stories of some of the people who are so radical right now in this nation, and I see they're looking for a mission And ultimately, they're hungering for God. That makes me also think of the story of uh, Bishop Athanasius Snyder, who is an auxiliary bishop, I I think, in in Kazakhstan, I I believe. I hope I'm not getting that wrong. Um, But that, you know, the story he tells of his youth of watching his his grandmother and his aunt uh, as women who were uh, Eucharistic in in an underground church, and how beautiful it is to, for him to tell the story of how he said these are priestly women. And he's like, yes, I know I use that word. And I know that that uh, might you know, confuse people. But as, <laughs> as Christians baptized as priest, prophet, and king, that, that the, yeah. it was so sacrificial. And that they kept the Eucharistic life well, alive in their homes in an underground church by caring for priests. Um, and when priests would bring the Eucharist and allow them to hold on to it and... and and re- reserve it and revere it in their homes, that they had this, this such reverence and that he brings that with him into his priesthood and into his episcopacy, that, uh, that experience of, of being a Eucharistic people in an underground church. And so he sounds kind of extreme mm-hmm. to some people in the church today, right. but what might be the problem is that the church is not extreme uh, enough and uh, so, so easily locked down. You know, I, I don't want to get into that conversation. Um, but at this point, to be honest, in my priesthood, wanting to get out and thinking, you know, in some, trying to compare my experience of having a closed church to uh, the underground church that, uh, that Bishop Schneider went through and, and so many Catholics have gone through. JP2, uh, so many others. Years. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That, uh, you know, ours is hardly comparable, but we can love with the same love and, and love with the same love as the martyrs 
and those who experience the underground church. There's nothing stopping us other than our own selves from loving that way. And so we don't, we don't need to fight back in the same way that they fought back, but we can cultivate that same Eucharistic spirit in our hearts. And that's what people are going to see and say, I want that. That's what's missing from my life. And that's the way that we're going to make disciples is even though you know, churches may still be closed down, um, how are we still a Eucharistic people? That's what we're going to be challenged by. And we need to hear these stories um, from, from that priest from Lithuania, from the, the community of, of Catholics in Kazakhstan during that time. Uh, we need to hear those stories and hold them in our hearts right now. Amen. And one kind of last comment, I'd love a brief response on this. I keep thinking in relation to Catholics, why are Catholics struggling, especially young Catholics, to stay Catholic? Many, as soon as they enter into their college years, they're gone once it's their choice whether or not to go to church. And I keep thinking about they're not being taught a way to live. And I keep thinking of the early church and how so many of the early Christians were martyrs. I think, why? Well, if we even look at the language of the time, even just the words Christian, the word Christian wasn't used or Catholic for a while. They considered themselves, quote, followers of the way. And they would ask each other if they were follow also fellow travelers on the way. And I think that this language is so special because if we were to ask, are you a fellow traveler? Are you a follower of the way? It's a way of living. And that language is so clear in its simplicity. Right. I, th- I think a lot of people are, um, are falling away, especially the young people, um, because going back to Dorothy Day is that... Um, People don't expect us to live radically, uh, to live not just serving the poor, but with the poor. And, uh, you know, the Catholics are out there. There are Catholics living with the poor as the poor, and people aren't seeing that. Uh, Maybe all they're seeing is the headlines. Maybe all they're seeing is, um, you know, an hour of church on Sundays at the most. Uh, But I I think that's because people aren't seeing uh, Catholicism lived radically. And, and not being drawn to it. And it's easier to fall away when you only see church on Sundays for an hour at a time. That's Father Tim Grumbach here with us again next Friday on Trending. You can follow him at Father Tim Grumbach on social media. Just head over to relevantradio.com forward slash trending. You can connect with me. We'll tag him on social media. We'll be right back here on Trending with Tim Murray. You can listen to more of Trending with Timory via the Relevant Radio app or at relevantradio.com slash trending.